Happy Sunday after Thanksgiving. I hope you all had a good Thanksgiving. Uh, you didn't have to. I know holidays can be hard just as much as they can be happy, but hopefully you had a great Thanksgiving. Uh, for those of you that are new, joining, us with this, uh, joining with us this morning, welcome. My name is Brett Weston. I'm one of the church planters here at Deer Creek Church. So my family and I will be starting a new church out of Deer Creek in Centennial, Colorado, near Arapaho and I-25 in less than a year. And so this morning is pretty special. If you're lucky, if you treat me nice, if you stay awake, I will reveal what the name and the mission and vision of that church plant will be. So are you excited? All right. Is that my son that said no? Um, well, with Christmas approaching, I know some of you hate me because I just said that. I'm okay with that. With Christmas approaching, we are entering into a season that's typically associated with hope. Waiting, hope, this thing we call Advent. And Advent is just a season where we wait and we anticipate Christmas. It puts us in a position of waiting. It reminds us to wait. And so I'm going to ask you a question. How many of you like to wait? Nobody? Interesting. Uh, this is a screenshot of something my daughter did to my phone when she was three years old. It says... This phone is disabled for 25,005,840 minutes. And there's actually a slider on the bottom in case of emergency slide for emergency in case you need to talk to someone before 47 years pass by. <laughs> I hate this. I hate waiting. How many of you like to wait? I think it's a human experience. I think it's a common human experience to hate waiting. We wait for a lot of things in life, right? We wait in traffic. We wait in the car line to pick up our kids. We wait for food once we've ordered it. We wait for our coffee to brew. We wait for things to download. What is your least favorite thing to wait for? I'm sure you can think of many things. Sometimes we have to wait for more important things than just those things. Sometimes we have to wait longer, hoping that maybe a situation would change, maybe hoping that I myself will change, hoping for a difficult period to end. Maybe you're hoping to just get through a day or through a moment. The thing with hope is the more important a thing is, the longer you have to wait, the harder it is to have hope, isn't it? There's a verse in the Bible, Proverbs 13, 12, that connects waiting with hope, it says this, it says, having to wait for what you hope for makes the heart sick. You see, if you've been hoping to change for a week, it's kind of annoying. If you've been hoping to change for a decade, you start to slowly give up hope. So today we're going to look at a passage in the Bible that's all about waiting, all about hope, and that's Psalm 130. Now, the writer of Psalm 130 was a lot like us, a lot like you, a lot like me. The world that he lived in was a lot like our world, massively in need of hope. And the writer of Psalm 130 describes for us a path that hope takes in his life. And I think it's the same path that hope takes in our life as well. And that path is this, finding yourselves in the depths, rising out of the depths, and then being able to impart hope to others who are still in the depths. So our hope this morning is to give you a plan and a purpose in your season of waiting, in your season of hoping. So if you would turn with me to Psalm 130, you can follow along on the screen if you don't have a Bible with you. 
It says, out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, that is, if you were to keep a record of all my sins, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. So we see the author starts out in the depths. Verse 1 says, out of the depths, I cry to you, O Lord. And what our minds might go to right there is something like being in the depths of despair, depressed, feeling low, feeling down in the dumps. But that's actually a modern imposition on the text. The meaning of depth here is deep waters. So the readers would have understood that this means being in deep waters. Now, the depths or deep waters in the ancient Near East represented untamed chaos. You didn't have control over the deep. It was unknown. It was unsettling. It was a source of fear. You couldn't master it if you wanted to. You couldn't control it even if you tried. And so being in the depths meant that you were surrounded by something overwhelming that you could not control. So your only hope when you were in the depths, in the deep waters, was, to, was from someone outside of the depths who had control over the depths. That would be your only hope. And that is hope, isn't it? We only need to hope in situations over which we have no control, right? We only need hope for situations over which we have no control, if I just did a grocery run last night, I don't wake up hoping that there's going to be food in my pantry. When my wife is delivering our baby, I don't cry out and hope that we'll be able to, be, to get pregnant. When I'm tucking my kids in at night in their beds all safely, I don't hope that they will all come home safe. I know it, so I don't have to hope. We only hope for things over which we know we have no control. Otherwise, we would simply take the outcome we want and make it happen ourselves. We would exert control over that particular aspect of our life and we would feel okay. We would feel settled. We hope our kids will turn out safe and healthy and good, but we don't know. We can't control that. Some of the best, most godly parents I know have kids that have made terrible life choices. And I know of kids that, that have come out of terrible home situations that are amazing human beings. We just don't know. I can have a good job today and there can be a scandal or a merger or something tomorrow and I'm adding up my savings trying to figure out how long can I make it. In my marriage, I can change myself. I can work on things, but ultimately I can't change the other person to make it last. Only God can do that. You see, there's so many things over which we have no control. And if you think you have control, most of the time, that's just an illusion. And that creates in the human race, that creates in us a constant need for hope on some level about something. In fact, hopelessness, hopelessness just means that you've, you've surveyed your situation, you've taken a look at it, 
and you realize you have no control over it and there's no one else that does. And so you feel hopeless. You don't know who can help you. You know you can't help yourself. The waters are too deep. And you realize if there's gonna be hope, then it has to come outside of me, outside of the depths that I'm in. So here's a principle about hope. When you find yourself in deep waters, you don't need a lifeboat to just keep you afloat on the chaos. You need a captain in control who can pilot you through. You need someone who has control. This is what we see in Mark chapter four. Jesus calms a storm. And so the depths, the deep waters are racing over them. They're threatening them. Jesus comes, he takes control over the waters and everything is at peace. You see, a lifeboat will just keep you afloat in the chaos. But in order to have hope, I have to cry out to someone who can actually change my situation. You see, hope's not just optimism. Hope isn't just seeing the bright side of things. Hope is not positive thinking. To put it another way, hope is not a childish wish, but childlike faith. And you're going to hear a lot of songs this season about hope being this mystical, childish wish and dream and fantasy. It's not that. Hope is not a childish wish, but childlike faith in the only one who can save us. And so when the author of Psalm 130 finds himself in the depths, he immediately calls out to his Lord, to God. You see, hope needs a capable and worthy object if it's not going to cross that line and turn to hopelessness. Hope needs an anchor in the deep waters. It doesn't need a flimsy little thread that's going to break. It needs an anchor. Hebrews 6.19 in the Bible says that hope in God is the anchor of the soul. You see, hope itself will not save you. You can't save yourself, the economy, your savings account, your investments, they're not going to save you. The government won't save you. Other people won't save you. There is only one who is Lord over the depths. Only one. So we can ask ourselves this morning, I can ask myself, when I'm in the depths, am I just seeking a lifeboat? Or am I putting my hope in God? You see, a lifeboat for me says, if I can just get more rest, then I'll get out of the depths. If I just had more resources, more time, more margin, more balance, maybe I would feel like the waters are receding and I can have some hope for this moment, this day, this season. But see, those are just lifeboats. They're not going to get me out of the chaos. They're just going to make me float for a while. So what's your go-to lifeboat? You see, the captain, our Lord, the one that the author of Psalm 130 cries out to is offering you a safe passage through the deep waters, not just to continue to float around in them. So then the author goes on, he says something strange. He says this, he says, if you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? Why does he say that? Why does that come next? Well, remember this, we, can, we only need hope over that which we have no control. So he's in the depths. He cries out to the only one who can truly save him. And do you know what the other lifeboat is that we try to climb into when we're in the depths? Our own goodness, 
our own merit, our own ability, our own worthiness. In essence, what that is, is just hoping in our own swimming ability to get ourselves out of the depths. You want to know something embarrassing? Not really embarrassing, but kind of. Uh, my wife taught me how to swim. There it is. Uh, ushers, you can come forward and usher my manliness out the door. But seriously, I knew how to stay afloat. I grew up near the water. I could kind of thrash around and, and, and kind of look like a cat, you know, chucked in the South Platte. Erin swam for Heritage. She was a good swimmer. And uh, I needed to enter a triathlon. And so I thought, I'm going to ask her to teach me how to swim. And so she did. She taught me the stroke. She taught me the breathing. So I kind of looked like I knew what I was doing. And I came in second in the triathlon out of 12 people. Um, it's true. I felt pretty good though. But isn't that us? When we're in the depths, we know we need to cry out to God, but we can be tempted only to cry out to God if we think God is pleased with us, if we think we're worthy, if we think we have the swimming ability to get ourselves out. So God reaches down his hand to help us and we pull it back saying, no, I'm not I'm not worthy. I'm going to trust in my own ability. I got myself into the depths, we think. I deserve to try to get myself out. See, the author of Psalm 130 recognized, he recognized that he's not even worthy to be saved. Okay, I know I can't get out of the depths, but even if I could, I'm not worthy of it. So I should probably try to get myself out. You see, God doesn't keep a record of sins, but we do. And the longest record we have is our own list for ourselves. So I have all this list of all the reasons why God shouldn't help me out of the depths. See, my hope, your hope, it's just a sinner's hope. But what we need to let God do in these moments of doubt is let him point us immediately to his character, to his ability rather than our own inability to swim. In verses four and five, the author says this, and I love this because we can start to see him getting his head out of this mentality of being in the depths, out of this, well, I have to control it. I'm not worthy. And he says this, he says, but with you, God, there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word, I hope. You see, he realizes he is not worthy of God's help. He doesn't have the ability to get himself out. He doesn't have the worth to present himself before God. But he knows God's character. He knows who he is. He knows who his anchor is because he finds that out from God's word. And he turns and he says, with you, there is forgiveness. I'm not waiting on a lifeboat. I'm not waiting for the situation to change. I'm waiting on God, my captain, to get me out. And I don't know when he will get me out. But while I'm in the depths, it helps me to know who's in control. Because God never promises to get us out right away. God never promises to get us out when we want to get out. But we know who's in control while we're in the depths. And I think that helps. You see, hope is not as much about believing in God 
as it is about believing God. Believing God is who he says he is. Believing God will do for you what he says he will do. You see, even the devil believes in God, but he doesn't believe God. We will never find hope, we'll never trust our only source of rescue if we don't know him and believe what he says about us. So let me ask you a question. Do you know God well enough to trust him? It says it in his word. Do you know that he loves you and is satisfied with you in Christ? Believe it because he says it. And now we can get to the next phase of hope, which is rising out of the depths. So Psalm 130 goes on to say in verse six, he says, my soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. And I love this because I think he has a couple things in mind here. You have a watchman, which is a hard job. It's a hard job to be a watchman. But then you have a, a night watchman. And that kind of takes it up a notch. And these are night watchmen. They're waiting for the sun to rise. They're waiting for morning to come. And an obvious reason here is that they're waiting for the danger of a nighttime attack to be over, to be gone. But I think there's something else. What happens for the night watchman at the first light when the sun rises? He gets relieved. The pressure's off. It's not his job to hold the whole city together anymore, to protect his family, to protect everyone behind the wall. It's not his job anymore. Someone else will take over and he can rest. And isn't that us? I know that's me. Aren't we all night watchmen facing things that make us anxious, that keep us up at night? that occupy our thoughts. What if, what if I can't be enough? What if I can't do what others expect me to do? What if I'm not good enough? Things over which we have no control. Wouldn't it be nice if that was just an eight hour shift and someone would come in in the morning and take over your finances, take over parenting, take over making life work and you could just go back to bed. That'd be great. And when the sun came up, you wouldn't be expected to be in control anymore. But see, there's good news here. Because we're not just waiting on the sun to come up. Our longing for the sun rising in our life has been fulfilled in the sun, S-O-N, rising. What do I mean by that? A writer some 500 years later after our psalm would speak of another trajectory of hope in the life of a Christian. The Apostle Paul says in Romans 5, he says this, Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand. And we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time 
and died for us sinners. See, Jesus' life, death, and resurrection give us hope for the future, even when we are in the depths, even if more depths, deeper waters await us today that we don't know about. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection give us hope for the coming year. Jesus has accepted you, made peace with you, and will come back for those who are his. But also, Jesus' life, death, and resurrection give us hope in the depths right now. Because God is building our character. He's building our strength. He's in building endurance while we wait, while we are in the depths. God is present. He is working right now using his power to make you more like him. So the issue of whether we're going to be okay has been resolved. We're not waiting for the sun to rise and make our problems go away. We've been relieved of trying to work out our own life, trying to work out our own salvation, trying to get ourselves out of the depths. We've been relieved of that. And so now by faith, we can cry out to God and say, get me out of the depths. If you want me out of this situation, then thank you that these waters will not overwhelm me because the depths of the grave did not overwhelm Jesus. But he rose again. And see, it's a win-win situation for me because if I get rescued out of it, I get to praise God. But if he keeps me in the depths, I know he's developing me more and more and more like him so that I can now give hope to others. I don't have to wait till the situation gets better. And God might not take me out of the depths. He might leave me right in the middle of it. But I know he's with me. There's times in my house when it's literally so crazy, I just bury my head in my hands. We've got eight people in our house. I'm related to all of them. We love each other, but wow, sometimes it is next level crazy. And last week, our our dishwasher broke, and we're going to have a technician come out and look at it, and uh, he was going to come out and fix it on Monday. So on Sunday, I put all my hope in this guy, and I said, he's coming on Monday, so I didn't do any of the dishes. (laughs) Just let him sit. So our kitchen looks like a bomb went off in Ikea, and... The guy comes, just like he said he would, and he said, you know what, I can't fix it. You need a new one, and it's going to take a week. So I'm sitting there doing the dishes, piles of them. The baby's screaming. I think there's an argument over video games going on in the other room. Aaron's crunching the numbers in our budget. How are we going to make this thing work? And my daughter Hannah comes strolling into the kitchen and says, what are you preaching on this Sunday? (laughs) Just don't get it, Hannah, do you? And I said, hope. And she goes, hmm. And I was so tightly wound around this, I could barely get it out, but I had prepped the sermon. I had read the Bible. I had spent time in Romans 5, the passage we just read. And I knew that God was not going to get me out of that at that moment. He was not, he was going to leave me in that situation Glory from heaven was not going to burst forth and vaporize all the dishes and turn the diapers into cinnamon frosting (laughs) and get me some lottery tickets to pay for the new dishwasher. That wasn't going to happen. 
I had absolutely no control over anything that was going on. But this time I cried out to God and actually thanked him that my hope was in the fact that he was building my character at that moment. It doesn't mean I have to like it. But I knew that one day he would make all the hard things come untrue. But for now, he was with me and he was doing a good work in me. And that brings us to the final point on this journey in Psalm 130. You see, as God is at work bringing us out of the depths, we are able to impart hope to those who are still in the depths. And I love this. The goal of having hope in the depth is not just to get out. The goal of God giving us hope in deep waters is not just to get out of the deep waters, but it's to be formed more clearly into the character of Jesus so that we can bring God more clearly into view for others. See, his glory, his goodness is not tucked away in a temple or in churches. It comes down in his goodness on his people. It gives us hope. We find hope only in him and we turn around and we become a people of hope for others. So the writer ends with this. He now turns from just him and God and he addresses his whole nation. He says in the final verses, he says, O Israel, hope in the Lord. He says, I wish you all could experience and know the Father that I know and love. He says, for with the Lord there is steadfast love and with him is plentiful redemption. There is enough hope for you and your nation and your community, all of it. And verse eight, he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. He will pull a whole nation out of its inability to save itself. God will pull them out. So when I'm in the depths, I'm so focused on just me and God and, and him getting me out and I get it. It's the whole thing of, of, of putting the oxygen mask on yourself before the person next to you, right? But Paul gives us that trajectory of hope in Romans 5 to give us purpose in our waiting, purpose in our hoping, purpose in the deep waters. He says that Jesus already died to make us worthy. He says we'll suffer, we'll develop endurance and strength and character, and that will lead to a hope that never disappoints us. Because at some point through God's Holy Spirit working in us, we will be able to shine for God. We will begin to be able to offer hope in the deep water for other people. See, we won't become people's lifeboat, but through the character he builds in us in the deep water, we can point them to their only anchor of hope. We are and are becoming a people of hope. So what do we do with all of this this season? Tomorrow. Well, ask yourself, where are you on the journey? Are you in the depths? That's okay. God will get you out. I don't know when. Maybe not until his son returns. Maybe quickly. But he is with you. He sees you. He is building you more like himself in a way that he couldn't if you were not in the depths. 
Maybe you're here this morning and have been trying to cling to a lifeboat rather than cry out to God. Maybe you've been distanced from God in a hard season because you don't think you're worthy of rescue. Maybe you're just waiting for a shift change and the pressure to be off in life. But know this, while you are in the depths, there is hope because Jesus is with you. Get to know him this season by reading his word. He tells you who he is. He tells you how he feels about you. And don't be afraid to cry out to God in the depths. And know that God can and will use you to elevate the hope of Jesus in the life of other people. Well, I told you I'd tell you the name of the church plant launching out of Deer Creek this fall, right? Well, I just told you. You might have missed it. The name of the church plant launching out of Deer Creek this fall is Elevate Hope Centennial. Elevate Hope Centennial. And I wanted the logo to be done for all you guys, but uh, I have no control over that. So I stopped putting my hope in it eventually. Elevate Hope Centennial will launch out of Deer Creek in September 2019 in East Centennial near Arapahoe and I-25. And the vision of Elevate Hope Centennial is this. Elevate Hope Centennial exists so that everyone in Centennial would know the real and lasting hope of Jesus. And the motto of Elevate Hope Centennial, it's going to go all our stuff, you know, our water bottles and websites and all that stuff. You might recognize it. It's this. Hope for those who are not perfect and don't pretend to be. Isn't that awesome? So one practical way this season that you can be involved in bringing hope to others is by being a part of this effort to start Elevate Hope Centennial in some way. There's two immediate ways you can be part of what God will do through Elevate Hope Centennial. The first is to come to a church plant interest meeting. We're actually having our first church plant interest meeting after two and a half years. Finally, next Sunday, December 2nd. Downstairs, second service, 1045. I think that's in your bulletin as well. So this meeting is not for people who know they want to be a part of it or have committed or signed on a dotted line. There is no dotted line yet. It's not just for people that say, yeah, I know. It's just come. I would love for every one of you to be there. You have been a part of launching Elevate Hope Centennial for two and a half years. So come find out more about what we hope to do, what we hope God will do through this church plant. So moving into this new year, we're ready to gather a launch team. It's an exciting time. So come next Sunday, 1045, downstairs. Maybe God will lead you, put something on your heart, or maybe you'll just find out more how to pray. Whether you come to that or not, there's another practical way that you can be involved in the church plant, and that's to give toward Deer Creek's end of the year giving project. And so in a video uh, last week, a video on Facebook email, Dwayne shared that Deer Creek is hoping uh, to do a couple projects this season. One of them is to raise $30,000 for a trucker trailer for the church plant full of everything we need to launch. This is all of our AV equipment, all of our welcome stuff, advertising, everything we need to set up a new church in Centennial, Colorado. It's pretty awesome. So if you haven't watched that video, go back and watch it. But we would love for you to partner in giving to that this Christmas season. And so I'm so glad to continue on this journey that we began together two and a half years ago. So let me end 
with this. Why would you come to a meeting about a church that doesn't exist yet? Why would you give money to a church that you probably will never go to, may never go to, even though all of you will? The answer is hope. What we just heard from God's word in Psalm 130, a light in the deep waters. See, Centennial has over 100,000 people in it and there will be a lot more. It's one of the fastest growing areas in the state and one of the fastest growing counties in the entire United States. Centennial also has one of the highest suicide rates in Colorado among young people and people in their 50s. We don't know why. At the same time, over 60% of people in Centennial identify themselves as spiritually seeking, but they will never enter a church to try to find God. Too much baggage there. Too much bad experience. But they're seeking God. So we need to bring the church out into the city. When I met with the mayor of Centennial, I asked her how a new church could help she immediately said, please help with the mental health crisis. Please help with the suicide rates. We don't know what to do. She said, the government can't help this, but churches can. We are planting a church in a city that is asking for hope. In Psalm 130, the author says, with the Lord, there is plentiful redemption. Plentiful redemption. There is more than enough grace and forgiveness for 100,000 people most of whom aren't even seeking God. But God is not done seeking them, offering hope through his people, the church. And that is why Elevate Help Centennial will exist. The name says it all. And I would love for you to join us. I'd love to have each and every one of you join us in launching this new work of hope in Centennial. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are a God of hope. And God, I don't, have to imagine too hard to know that there are people here, many of us who feel like the waters are over our head or to feel that we're not worthy of rescue, to feel like that if we reached our hand up to you, you would pull it back out of shame and disgust. But God, I thank you that that issue has been solved in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, that you have made it all right, that you have accepted us, that you are our only hope and God, I pray that as we are in the depths, we would praise you, that we would cry out to you, that we would know that we are being shaped more and more like you and that you would use us, a weak and frail people who need hope ourselves to offer hope to others this holiday season. And we thank you that you will bring this to pass by your power. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.